0: Good morning, guys. Hi. Hello, Mike. Hello, 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 hello. Hi, guys. Welcome to church today. Yeah. So, uh, if you don't already know, today is uh, Youth Sunday. They call it like the Youth Takeover, I guess. But um, yeah, so I'm Levi. This is uh, one of our uh, youth bands for uh, Wednesday. And, uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's stand in worship. for this day, God. Thank you for your presence in this building, God. I pray that your word would flow through Jeremy and Tyler today, God. That you would speak through them to us, God. That your Holy Spirit would be full in this place, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So I guess now is the
1: time you guys are supposed to talk to each other. (laughs) Why, hello, and welcome to Harvest Church. I am not Ron. She is not Ron. And she is definitely not Ron. I am Breger Wade. I am a junior at AGHS.
2: I'm Olivia Hunsicker, and I am a seventh grader at Paulding Middle School. And I am Emma Irie. I am a sophomore at AGHS.
1: Ladies, gentlemen, am I often forgotten, but not my me. Crazy people, welcome to Harvest Church. We are so glad you are here, whether online or in person. We are just so happy you're here. If you want information about upcoming events, we have our info center up the hill. If you are new here, we also have a gift for you, also at that info center up the
3: hill.
2: Today is Family Sunday. Um, every fourth Sunday of the month is Family Sunday. Students first grade and up... We'll be in services with their families. We serve donuts in celebration of Family Sunday. Each month, we'll be sure to grab one after service. In addition to Family Sunday, today is Youth Takeover Day. <laughs> Students are helping out in various places, greeting worship team, kids ministry, serving donuts, and even bringing the announcements. We are looking for a few morning people who are willing to get here bright and early to brew coffee for our church services. If this is you, sign up at the Info Center today.
1: If you are a man, and if you are in junior high or older, we have the men's breakfast coming up May 1st at 8 a.m., We will be having breakfast. It's free. You don't even have to sign up. You just show up and you get a free breakfast right here, 8 a.m., May 1st.
2: Spring and summer life groups session kicks off in May. Midweek groups are a great way to build relationships and grow in your faith in Jesus. We have home groups, men or women's Bible studies, young adults or young professional groups, a golfing group, yarn club, and even seminary classes. Grab a flyer available at the info center or at the welcoming tables in each venue and get plugged up into a group. On April 30th, we have a Let Us Worship Night at 6.30 p.m. at the end of Grand Avenue. It is a Sean so- White worship event, and we'd love to have you there. And now I welcome Pastor Ron up to the stage for our baby dedications.
3: Good morning. My name is Ron. I'm a senior at a Grandy High School, and uh, this is Youth Takeover Day. I qualify. Um, I would like to invite up front. We've got three families that are going to be dedicating a child to the Lord today. So I'd like to invite the Wade family up. If you guys could kind of take a spot right over here, the Wade family. And then the sailors get to be kind of right here in the middle. And then over on this side, we're going to have the Sutherland family. So go ahead and find your spot. I always find that baby dedications is one of my favorite, favorite things to do, and I'll explain why in just a minute. All right, good to see you guys. Okay, I've got a certif- dedication certificate already for you, so I'm going to go ahead and hand that to you, and this one goes to you, and there you go, Maggie. Okay, so what I want to do first is introduce these families to you. So over on this side, we've got Tom and Kelly Wade. And their little one is Leaford Grant Wade. They go by Leaf. He goes by Leaf. And Leaf was born September 20th, 2020, in San Luis Obispo. Handsome young man. And here we've got Tom and Kelly Wade. And their little one is. Um... Over here we've got Tom and Kelly Wade. How'd they get up here twice? (laughs) Over here here we've got Cody and Emily Sailors, and their little little one is Judah Delbert, did I say that right? Delbert? Delbert Sailors. And he was born November 23rd, 2020 in San Luis Obispo. Okay, see if I get the third one right. (laughs) Over here. (laughs) Jeremy and Maggie Sutherland, and of course, we've got Elsie and Posey, and their little one is Winnie Mae Sutherland, and she was born February 17th, 2020, in San Luis Obispo. All right, so dedicating our children to the Lord is really about parents Dedicate, dedicating themselves to the Lord first. In fact, Jeremy's going to talk a lot about that in his message this morning. And it's making a commitment to raise our children in what the Bible describes as the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Another translation, the New Living puts it this way, to raising our children in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And so these families have chosen to be up here today and because you, you are their church family. And so child dedication is really about making a commitment to us, but of course to the Lord, that we're going to, we as families, as those of us who have the honor and privilege of raising children, are going to do it to the best of our ability as God gives us the ability to do so. There's an interesting verse in Psalm 127. Let me get back over here in the middle. Psalm 127, beginning with verse 3, it says, Children are a gift from the Lord, and they are a reward from him. So we recognize that, that children are actually a gift from God and a a reward. And so, therefore, all the kids that we have, however many, one or a dozen, are all meant to be a gift and a reward from the Lord. And so, as parents, how is this done? So, raising children is um, certainly an uncertain thing for sure, but God gives us some instruction. So, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, Uh, God gave some instruction to the people of Israel, and we can glean from it as well. It goes like this. To parents, he says, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed. And when you're getting up. So the idea is parents, first and foremost, as I mentioned earlier, is our responsibilities have a relationship with God. And He's the one that helps us so that when we communicate to our kids about Him and about the things that God has for them in their life, they're, they're getting a real-life example from mom and dad. And I've found, and Jeremy's going to talk about this again too, if, if they're not seeing the reality of our relationship with God in us first... Chances are they, they won't follow that instruction. They won't emulate it. So it needs to be first and foremost seen in mom and dad. So again, Proverbs 22, direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. All right, so I'm going to ask a series of questions to the families here, and if you would just respond as I ask you the question, just say, we will. And I think, I think there are seven questions. I'm not really sure. We will. We will. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> However many I ask. All right. So this is to moms and dads. Will you commit to raise your children in an atmosphere of love and discipline knowing that the best hope for a healthy childhood is one of unconditional love and clear biblical standards? Okay. Second question. Will you communicate, sorry, will you commit to communicate to your children the necessity of placing their faith in Jesus Christ when they're at an age of understanding their personal need and the significance of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Okay. Will you commit to pray often for your children, asking the Lord to accomplish his plan and purpose through your children for the glory of God? This is probably the toughest question of all, to be honest. When your child is at an appropriate age, will you commit to release them, to follow God's plan and purpose for their life? Yeah. And finally, last question, will you commit to humbly place your trust in God, cooperating with Him as He accomplishes His plans and purposes in your family? All right. So I have a... a, couple of verses here so the first one is going to be for for leaf the verse i have for him is jeremiah 29 beginning with verse 11 this is what it says for i know the thoughts that i think towards you leaf says the lord "they're thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you future and hope i have a verse for judah hi judah you paying attention okay you can you can you can watch the archive online Okay? And this is Philippians 1 6. He who has begun a good work in you, Judah, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And then, Winnie. <laughs> I call her Winifred. That's not actually true. <laughs> Am I the only one that does that? Okay, all right. You and me, Winifred. Um, Winnie, sorry. Philippians 2.13. This verse says, For it is God who works in you, Winnie, both to will and to do his good pleasure. All right. So what we're going to do as a group right now, and whether you're here in the sanctuary or in the loft or in the shop area or online, we're going to pray for these families, okay? All right. Lord, we lift up Leaf to you and Judah to you and Winnie to you. Lord, we pray that at, a, at an early age they would come to know you as their Lord and Savior, that at an early age they we would just have this profound awareness that you are that you are God that you are the one who 's leading and guiding and directing their family and and mom and dad and and Lord that um, just at a very young age they would make that decision and that they would walk with you uh, from the beginning until the end and so Lord also we pray for these families, Lord, that you would give them wisdom as parents, to parent well, to lead their families well. And Lord, we know that it's it's an imperfect process of being a parent and raising children. But Lord, I trust, we trust, we pray that you would give them each wisdom, knowledge, discernment along the journey, so that as they pour into their kids, uh, the result would be awesome. So Lord, we commit these families to you. We just thank you, Lord, that you are with them, guiding and directing every step along the way. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. "Amen, amen." You guys can all sit down now, and and uh, I'm going to turn things over to Jeremy over here. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Was good. I love-
4: All right, that should be it good morning isn 't that a sweet time? Family is amazing uh, today we, we, we do that today we celebrate and we we honor the fact that it 's all about the family. Um, my hope this morning as we as we just peruse through scripture we 'll just be barely skimming the, the the top the the surface but i wanna, I want to show you from from big time beginning from time to time end. Uh, it's all about the family of God. So today we celebrate families, and first grade and up are in, and I know sometimes it gets a little loud, it gets a little, you've got to settle them down, you've got to give them something else to do, something to distract, but that is okay. Because in the end, these, these young minds and these young hearts are going to see the way that their parents and their grandparents worship God. And that's going to stick in their mind maybe even more than anything I'm going to say or the preacher says. They're going to see the way that their parents sit under the word of God and hear the preaching. And it's, that's going to be it's such an impression. So I pray today brings um, just refreshment to your soul, a wind to your sails, and oxygen to your lungs. Let me, let me pray this morning as we jump in. Lord, we thank you for this precious gift, this thing called the family, Lord. And it was from you, Lord. You are the designer, the creator of families, of marriage, of, of, of parenting, Lord. And so we look to your word right now to, to, to instruct us, to give us instruction, to show us how to live and how to do these things that you've called us to do, Lord. So pray, Lord, that you would just fill us with your spirit this morning. Show us from the word of God. Open it up to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen hopefully you aren 't getting tired of backpacking analogies I know that 's been the, the, the theme of these past few weeks um, it 's exciting to see um, yesterday I took well two days ago I took my daughter 's backpacking for the first time uh, my other well not my not my youngest daughter right but my, my six year old and my eight year old took them backpacking for their first overnighter. We went about a mile in and it was just a great time and, and Along the way, we had to kind of—I had to encourage them just a little bit—and that's kind of the way we start out these trips, right? Um, years ago, I saw on, on the internet a picture of this rock cliff, and it was a, what the author described as a, an old Chumash camp. And uh, he was very vague in his in his directions on how to get there. In fact, he was stayed away from telling people where it was because you. He didn't want people going there and defacing anything, ruining anything. He wanted to kind of keep it of a very hidden spot. But he showed these pictures of this hidden Chumash camp. And when he went there, there was this rock cliff and there was a, a waterfall that was spilling down and this little lush, little, um, little almost garden in the midst of these rocks. And I thought, I want to find out where this is. I want to go there. So for about, and this is, this is 10 years though, so for the last 8, 10 years, I've been tracking down, trying to find out where this place is. I know it's in our local backcountry. I know it's out there, so I've been wanting to find it. Well, uh, about three years ago, a, a friend of mine, I started asking him some questions, I found out he was a backpacker, I said, hey, do you know where this camp is? And I showed him some pictures, he's like, oh, I know where that's at, let me show you on the map. So he put, a, he put a little dot on my map where it was, and so in the back of my mind, I'm like, I gotta get there, I wanna find this place, this place looks incredible. And so I had this map. I looked I know the sto- I know that um, the what the, the trail involves as far as well elevation climbs and it's rivers and all the, all the stuff's going on. I had a very good picture of what it could be like, but I hadn't put my feet on the trail. I hadn't taken those steps. And so we started hiking up that way with the youth that that went from our our, our team or from our, our church. Took 17 students um, Six leaders and just had a phenomenal time in the backcountry. Uh, some of them were first-time backpackers. Some of them had a little bit experience, but all everyone just joined on the trail, and we we took a, we went up about six point eight miles up the hill. And even with all the vision and all the like, hey, this is all the hype of where we were going. It's still in the middle. You can start to see the students' eyes start to get lost. You can start to see them like, what am I doing this for? Everyone had started out with those great intentions. Like, We're going to power through this. We're going to make it there in no time. And then you kind of get in the middle and you realize, oh man, there's hills and there's rocks and there's rattlesnakes in the bushes, literal rattlesnakes in the bushes. Um, the, the, the trail's dusty. I, I, didn't, I didn't know it'd be such a hard climb. My, my pack start, is starting to weigh me down and you start to see this look on the student's eyes halfway in, where they're like, oh, "I can't go back out." And I'm like, there's only one, oh, like, what do I do? And I tried to bring a little vision, tried to bring a little encouragement. All right, students, this is what we're gonna do. You're gonna you're gonna stand up in the back. I know it's I know that weights kind of crushing your shoulders, but let's just stand up in the pack. Allows your lungs to get the air that you need. Looking up instead of just looking at the trail below you allows you to, to, to see more around you. Instead of just focus on the trail and the hardships there, it's like, whoa, look where we are. Look at the vastness that's around us. And they pushed on. Every single student made it up. 6.8 miles. It was a tough trek, but we made it. And I think that's what family has been like. That's my analogy is the family has been like that through this year. You know, our family, we we had Winnie right before COVID hit. And my wife, knowing that we're gonna have a baby soon, decided it's probably a good time to put our kids in charter school so she's not only homeschooling. So let's put both kids in charter school, the older kids in charter school. So I get a little reprieve. My wife gets a little reprieve throughout the days. So we put them in charter school two months in and then boom, COVID hits. And now my wife has a brand new baby she's trying to keep alive that has a bunch of food intolerances and stuff. So that is a hardship. There's, now she's homeschooling. Now we're trying to do all this. And it was just a year that just felt like that pack was just starting to weigh us down. And I think a lot of families felt it this year. And it's when we look up and we see, okay, God has a purpose for the family. Let's, let's see what this vision that God has for a f- purpose. Let's fill up our lungs with this, this, this vision, what the Lord has for us, and let's go from there. Let's push on. God has a special purpose of, of his plan of redemption through the family. Family is used 301 times in the Bible, Old Testament to New Testament. Family is used 301 t- times. And I thought, that's not, that's not a lot, 301 times in the whole of all, all scripture. But then you start adding into that um, all the other aspects of family, father, mother, children, sons, daughters, adoption, uh, all these, th- these things, and you start to, there, there's a multitude, a, th- a plethora of verses out there in the Bible that would deal with family. So today we're only going to scratch the surface. But fathers and mothers are not replaceable, never will be. God has set them in place. So we start in, this morning in the family in the garden. Family in the garden from Genesis chapter 1. And God gives a design and pattern for his first family, for the beginnings. And in his own image and likeness, he's going to create them. We as humans are imagers of God. We bear God's image. And it's one of the reasons why I, this year's been so hard for me. I like to see faces. I like to see the image that God has given to each and every one of you. And when those things are covered up, it's like, oh, we're missing out on something. We're missing that we are imagers of God. Genesis as 1, 26 and 27 gets the ball rolling, God says, let there be uh, let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over, every, on, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Now, my daughters found a bunch of little creeping things along the trail. They found a couple of snakes, found some uh, lizards that they wanted to take home with them, but weren't quite able to catch. We found a, a toad in the creek and they wanted to take that home too, but we decided it might be best to keep that little critter there in the, in the creek. Because all those animals are amazing and wonderfully made, but yet there's none like, uh, like God who created us in, our, in his own image. You know, there's a lot of people who doubt the Genesis narrative, as they put it, as it's something that, well, it's it's a nice story. Let me tell you what I believe, and I stand a little different sometimes. I didn't mention this first service, but I, I believe in a young earth creation. I believe that the Bible is the infallible, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient word of God for us. That these aren't just stories. That these are histories. And that when God takes Adam and Eve, he didn't take something else that was already there. You know, he took Adam from the dust of the earth and he created this man in his own image. And then a woman. And I realize that sometimes that thought, that thinking... Sets myself away from other, even other Christians, even other um, Christian universities or higher critics, and I think that, I, and I go back and I said, okay, well, this is what I believe, but is that true? Is this, is this, tr- is this true? And what do I really believe? And what do I think about the Bible? The Bible has a lot to say about itself, but what is what is Jesus as the author? as the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures, what did he think about the Bible? And Jesus ta- accepted the Old Testament canon as, is it, as it exists today, without any modifications and claim to fulfill it. And that's in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus looked at the Old Testament and said, this is the word of God, I came to fulfill it. He didn't change anything. He didn't say, well, this is just a story, this is just a nice pattern to follow. No, he said, this is the word of God, and he filled, fulfilled it. Jesus treated the Old Testament narratives as straightforward facts. That means in Genesis 1 and 2, which he refers to in Matthew chapter 19 and Mark chapter 10, he he treats those things as straightforward facts. The creation of man and woman, the creation of family, the Garden of Eden, the serpent. Jesus treats Abel, Noah, Adam, or Abraham, all as Living people. Sodom and Gomorrah, he references in Matthew chapter 10, 11, and then Luke 10. He'll talk about Lot in Luke chapter 11, or sorry, 17. Isaac and Jacob, he talks about the manna in the wilderness. It's not mean some story, but actual manna, bread that came from the heavens. He talks about the wilderness serpent, Jesus and Moses as the lawgiver. Jesus even accepts Jonah as in three days and three nights in the belly of a whale in Matthew chapter 12. All these things are so criticized. And yet Jesus accepted them as straightforward facts and straightforward narratives. Jesus even accepted the Old Testament authors as the ones that actually wrote it. In Mark Mark chapter 7, Jesus says Moses was the writer of the first five books. That Isaiah wrote Isaiah in Matthew chapter 13 and Mark 7. That David wrote the Psalms in Mark chapter 12. And that Daniel wrote the book of Matthew. And some higher critic, they, they criticize it. Well, Daniel pr- prophesied so extremely accurately. There wasn't just one Daniel, it must have been written later and attributed to Daniel. But Jesus said that Daniel wrote the book of Daniel. And I'll get to families in a second, just a second. But this is what Jesus had to say. And so when I come up here and I speak about the family, I want to, I want to stand on the word of God. That's what has to be our starting place for his design and intent. And that's what we'll talk about next, is the intent and scope of that. This God's purpose to extend the Garden of Eden in, out into the world. And it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There was supposed to be a stewardship, a, a, a taking care of, of not consuming, not destroying, but to, to watch over these things. And he talks about the families that are to come. When God, gives a, when God gives a command, our rebellious nature just says, ooh, I don't want to do this command. So many people hear the law, the, the, the Ten Commandments. How much better would the world be if everyone wanted to follow the Ten Commandments? What if God's commandment, the first commandment he gives to humankind, to mankind, was there in, in 126 when God said, Sorry, 128. Let them be fruitful and multiply. Fruitful and multiply. A husband and wife knows what it means to be fruitful and multiply. That is a great commandment to do. That is a great blessing to do. To be fruitful and multiply. And he says, says, go. And so that's what Adam and Eve do. It says, the book of the genealogy of Adam in Genesis chapter five, it says, in the day that God created man, he made them in his likeness. He made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. And it goes on to list the sons, and it goes on to say that he had many other sons and daughters. You see, it's God who sets the solidarity in families. Psalm 68, 6. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. If that was God's original intent for these families to go out and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, take care of it, we know that that trouble comes soon in the garden. There's trouble in the family. It didn't take long for there to be drama in the family. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the husband and wife. There's drama now in the husband and wife. We see a reversal of the God-given roles that instead of Adam being the protector, the head we see now Eve talking to the serpent and being deceived. And as she eats of the fruit, and she says she gives the fruit to Adam who was with her. Adam was right there. He should have been watching out for his, his bride. He should have been watching out for his lady, and he wasn't. And it quickly becomes the blame game after that. How quickly, how quickly do we jump into that crazy cycle? As the book Love and Respect talks about. We start blaming things. And ultimately, the blame didn't fall on Adam and Eve. The, they, they're ultimately blaming God because he was the one who gave everything. And yet God said, this is all very good. And yet they're blaming God for their problems. That doesn't stay with Adam and Eve. Then it goes on to their children. You have children in resentment. Genesis 4, 6 and 7 says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you shall rule over it, or you should rule over it. There's trouble in the family. All of a sudden now there's the, their kids are now at, at war with each other. And God appears in an in a, in a act of grace and mercy. God goes and says, Cain, don't do this. Why are you angry? And he warns them. And yet we see the first murder in the first family in the first chapters of the Bible. I love how Honest the Bible is about those who are in it. It doesn't make them out to be saints. This shows their sin and brokenness right from the start. Right away. We have the first murder there, and, and then we have the first exile, as Cain is sent out from his family. Recorded in Genesis 4, it says, And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, you shall no longer leave; yield its strength, and a fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. So Cain is now sent out from his family. And if that trouble that started in the first family, it, there's now trouble until now. Trouble till now. You know, we, we see many families in the Old Testament broken Missing God's plan, missing God's original design and intent for family. But yet, it's God who uses a family to save the whole world. God puts a husband and a wife, their three kids, there's three sons and, the, and, the son, and, their, and their daughter-in-law into an ark to preserve and protect the whole world. God uses families. So where are we at in our cultural world? I wasn't planning on sharing any quotes or, or any um, any stats until yesterday. When the one book I did bring on my backpacking trip with my daughters, um, it was fun. As as we spent one out night out in the back country, just a mile in, and as as we were heading back out back to the car, back to the trailhead. Um, just stopped to take some pictures of my daughters. I wish, I'd have, I, wish I would have thought of it earlier and put them up on the screen, but I'm taking pictures of my daughters and I hear a familiar voice down the trail. And it's Pastor Steve and Stephen and, and Curtis and they're coming up the trail and they're all energized and ready for the whole hike while well, my daughters are just kind of fading, just trying to make it back to the car. And they were just, it was just, it was this exciting moment and I look at Steve with his two sons and there I am with my two daughters and, Different ages, different sizes, and yet it was just this cool moment out there. So they're headed out. They're up on the mountain right now. They're um, out probably camping by a river, Manzana Narrows, where we, we took the, the youth a few weeks ago, getting his time with some, with some kids. I'm stoked to, that he's out there doing that. So I wasn't planning on, on giving these quotes until this one from a book I just picked up. The book is called um, Raising Passionate Jesus Followers by Phil and Diane Comer. And he quotes a 2009 study that concluded that 90% of youth active in high school church programs drop out of church by the time they're sophomores in college, with only 34% ever returning. As a youth pastor, someone who has kids of my own, that terrifies me, 90%. It's sobering, but there is hope because in 2010 there was another another study that showed that there was a remnant of homes where faith stood strong in the way all the way into adulthood. It doesn't have to end with 90 percent walking away. There was this remnant of home where where faith and and, and a, a relationship, or in, a way, in a way, religion was taught and pushed on to their, onto your, your children. And it's in those homes where there was an active involvement in the lives of their of their kids that 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 ninety percent didn't apply. It says, and students who stayed in the church throughout college said the first thing they do when they have doubts or questions is to talk to their parents and read their Bibles those students who remained in the faith, the first thing they would do if they had problems that arose, they'd talk to their parents and read their Bibles. And so that is the model. We We need to be doing that. And I'm so stoked that a youth group, what we do is this on a Wednesday night with the youth. It's really not that different. We have some fun. We have some games. We do a little icebreaker so the students can get to know each other. And then we go straight into the same worship team Student-led worship, someone who will come up and give their testimony of what God has done, and then when they open up the Word of God, and we have Bibles, and I hear this like page turning, and it's incredible to hear 50, you know, Bibles turning at the same time to, to this text or that text, and it's, it's phenomenal, and I think those are the things that are going to break that 90% is when youth group isn't so foreign to what's in here, and it's one of the reasons that drew my family and I to this church is that families are emphasized. We want to do worship together. I want to worship next to my daughters on a Sunday morning. I want, I want them to see me worshiping, and I want to see them worshiping. I want to raise my hand, and I want to see my daughter mimic me and raise her hand as well. It's like that father's heart just like beats out of my chest. I don't have to say a lot about where our culture is at today. But I do know this that Jesus didn't come to change the culture, but he came to change individual heart individual hearts. But when a heart is changed, then it begins to change culture around it. I think there's no more important job in this world than parents raising godly children. And even as I stand up here, I, I, I know of my ina- own inadequacies on the way I'm doing my best to raise my girls and my, my flaws and my mess-ups, and I pray the Lord's grace over them. But parents raising godly children. February 12, 2004, then-mayor of San Francisco, Gavin Newsom, redefined marriage for the first time, I believe, in the world. It's no longer be between a male and a female. He ordered City Hall to issue ma- different marriage license licenses. That was marriage being de- redefining within our lifetime. In our lifetime, we've seen gender being redefined as well. It's no longer male and female. In the way that the pattern and the image of God that is being changed now. I heard of a friend who, who has a, um, a larger youth group not in this area but on that issue of gender identity over 50% of them said they didn't fit into in a youth group didn't fit into male or female we have to hold the truth we have to teach and train the word of God The role of children is even being re- redefined in a very subtle, crafty way. I, I see as I look out and watch movies and media, all of a sudden realize, whoa, this is, this is not new. This, is, this has been around for a while. And there's this whole thought that parents don't know best, children know best. Media is portraying parents as being just simple-minded and not knowing and not up on the, you know, all, all the, the fashion, the culture, all these things. Ah, just, just don't listen to your parents. Do your thing. It's no longer parents know best. It's children know best. And I'm going to throw a Disney movie under the bus right now. And it was from, I was 10 years old when this movie came out, The Little Mermaid, Right? It's a great little movie. What are you saying, Jeremy? Disney. And I've let my my girls watch it, and I've obviously seen it. I've had to fast forward some sections for my girls, but think about The Little Mermaid and what it, and what it teaches in, in these, these, these minds. That a 16-year-old or teenage girl knows better than what her father, you know, right? She, she, she wants to go be a human. She wants to collect human things, and he finds out, and he says, no, no, you can't do this. This isn't good. This isn't healthy. And so he, he you know, uh, destroys all her things, and she's left to go out on her own to make this thing happen. And so she pursues the path of becoming a human and, and doing it her way, and then she gets into trouble, and then her father has to rescue her, and then in the end, oh, he realizes that you're right, honey. You should be a human. You should do this thing. But if you see the crafty lies that become in between that, you realize that what it's telling the watchers that, hey, your parents don't know best. It's actually you who knows best. You need to do your own thing. You need to not listen to your parents. That is dangerous. So how does God want to use your family? First off, marriage and family is a mystery, is it not? Because it's a picture of something greater, something that will fully be revealed when when Jesus Christ comes back. I I would encourage you this week to, to read through Ephesians in the light of family, as in a church family, but your own family. Read Ephesians and just see what things begin to pop out to you as you read the book of Ephesians in light of family, church family and your own family. And if you think, grandparents, I want you to keep the course, because you're not done raising your own children, and, you're, and, you're, and, you're, and you are there in the lives of your grandkids. And young people, if you think, oh man, he's ta- Jeremy's talking about marriage and family, just know that if the Lord tarries, someday you will have your own family, and these seeds, the seeds of the Word of God, will someday sprout, and I want to see you have a godly marriage and a godly family. Dr. Joel Kim said this, he said, family is one of the central means by which the Lord deepens and expands our faith. And it's often as a model of our Heavenly Father. Quoting from the Old Testament, Paul, Paul, Paul goes to Second uh, Corinthians, he's writing his letter to the Corinthians, and he says this, that God will be a father, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so with all these attacks in the culture to our family, we have to know that it's not just, these aren't flesh and blood things. These aren't just people's ideas. These are straight um, lies from the pit of hell. This attack on family isn't flesh and blood. Paul would say in Ephesians 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We need to know what the wiles of the devil are to be able to stand against them. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. The rebellion against family and marriages and children is, is a direct act of rebellion against the very nature of the Godhead. And parents are so needed. Parents can never be replaced. Parents are needed. There is a holy dependence that that is upon parents. And often that comes in the form of wisdom and direction and speaking into the lives of their kids. When I was in high school, I wanted to go watch a high school football game. It's in the fall, Central Valley. It gets a little cool at night. Um, My mom's like, you need to take your jacket." No, Mom, I don't need my jacket. No, you need to take a jacket. You'll get, you'll, you'll get chilly. You'll get chilled, and then you'll get a cold. No, I'll, I won't, I'll be fine. Ran around that whole evening, came home, had a sniffle. Next day, I had a cold. My mom knew me better than I knew myself. In Second Chronicles chapter 1, God appears to Solomon in a dream. And he asked him basically, hey, Solomon, you're, 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 you're the king. You're the man. What do you want? What do you want? Do you want your enemies gone? What, whatever you want. You just ask for it. And Solomon asks for wisdom and knowledge. Why did Solomon ask for wisdom and knowledge? It's, I mean, it seems pretty straightforward, right? He's going to be the new king. He's got all these people he's got to lead. Why? He asked for wisdom and knowledge. Open up to Proverbs 4 if you have your Bible. Proverbs chapter 4. And in Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs is a book written by Solomon. This struck out, this, this stuck with me a, a few years ago. The first part of Proverbs, most of Proverbs, is actually written to uh, his kids, to Solomon's kids. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was young, when I was my father's son, tender and the only one in, 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 in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, so let me ask you, who wrote the book of Proverbs? Solomon. Who was Solomon's father? Who was Solomon's dad? David. So this are the, these are the words. He records the words he received from his father in the book of Proverbs. So now he's telling us. So in Proverbs, he says this. This is what he taught. This is what David taught Solomon. He said this, in verse four: Let your heart retain my words, keep my commands, and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget or turn away from my words that my mouth. And do not forsake her, for she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. I think there's a direct correlation to David saying, Son, someday I know your weaknesses. I know know you. Someday you're going to be king, and this is what you need to have. You need to have wisdom, and you need to have understanding. So God appears to Solomon in a dream. What do you want? Well, my dad said I need wisdom. I need to do, I need to get wisdom. Parents are so needed for your input. But also that gives a responsibility for children. So I want to invite up Tyler to come up now to come up and give us a word as well this morning. You, you just thought it was just going to be me. I got, I got Tyler coming up to give a word. Come on, buddy.
5: All right, good afternoon. Yeah, it's, it's afternoon already. Um, so since it's youth takeover, I'm going to start off with kind of a traditional youth introduction. Um, my name is Tyler Suizo. I'm 16. I've been attending Harvest for about 12 years now. My toothbrush color is white, green, and pink. And because Gabe is probably watching this, and he will get upset if I don't, my toothbrush, toothbrush bristle density is, is medium. Okay, very important. Um, so family, as Jeremy's been talking about, is an important part of God's plan. Children are obviously a part of that plan. Um, but a really key aspect of children in God's plan is raising and becoming godly children. Uh, Pastor Ron touched on this verse with the dedication, Proverbs 22, 6. He used a slightly different version. I'm using the King James, um, because you can't really go wrong with that. Um, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I really like this version because of the words train up, to prepare for battle. So when we leave these walls, it's a battle out there. We're being attacked. Okay, And how Jeremy said that 90% of Christian youth leave the church after high school, that's crazy. That's, that's our fight. Okay, that's our parents can help us with that, but us as youth have to decide whether we want it or not. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to listen to our parents, our elders, and learn how to use the weapons that they will teach us and that God wants us to use. Um, I was looking at another article very similar to what Jeremy was talking about, and it gave some reasons for why uh, youth leave the church. One of them was when kids go to college— all of a sudden, they're surrounded by all these atheist ideas, these people who are super comfortable in their reasoning, and they, they know what they're talking about, and they're going to convince you that this is, this is the real thing, and your belief is wrong. A lot of college kids, college uh, Christian youth, don't know how to respond to that. They don't know how to defend their faith. They instead of pressing in and learning how to defend their faith, they fall back and want to be comfortable. They don't want to push themselves out of their comfort zone. Um, I wasn't going to share this, but Jeremy started off uh, first service with two C.S. Lewis quotes. So I figured um, I'd kind of copy that. Um, But C.S. Lewis was really famous for arguing against atheists, debating them um, publicly, and... Um, One day, he was beaten. He had never really been beaten before. And the way he responded to that was by writing the Chronicles of Narnia, probably the most influential Christian children's book out there. And so, my point is, we will face attack, we will be defeated at some point. Okay, It's inevitable. But the... The fact that we need to change is how we respond to that. Are we going to fall back and be afraid and give in to the enemy? Are we going to keep pressing forward? Are we going to keep taking one step at a time until we get to the end? Okay, till we get to the goals and plans God has set for us. Um, Ephesians 6, 1-3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. The second reason that they said kids fall away from the church is because kids don't think the Bible has any significant meaning directly at them when they're kids. It's for the old people. The old people can do what they want, and I'll do my own thing, and everyone's happy. But God wants us to be with him. Okay, He gives his first commandment with a promise to the children, not to the adults, not to the priests, He wants us to be with him. He says, I know the road is going to be long and hard and painful, but if you keep following me, if you keep pressing into it, you will get the reward at the end. One thing I'm super grateful for my parents um, is teaching me that pushing past the pain will get me to the best things in life. Um, Keeping on that idea of backpacking that Jeremy did, my first backpacking trip, I went with a bunch of, a couple of my buddies and their dads, and... We could either backtrack the way we came, nice, you know, scenic creek route. There's some ups and downs, okay? It's not a cakewalk. Um, Or we could do a trail called Hurricane Deck. Now, at the time, Hurricane Deck sounded super awesome, and it is. Um, But we got up. We're going to do it. We knew the elevation was going to be, you know, significant. It was going to be like climbing, I don't know, like 2,600 feet. And so we get up, and we get going, and we're hiking, and there's switchbacks, and the trail's in front of us, and we're climbing. And we start to see the top of the hill we're going up. And we're like, okay, we're almost there. This is great. You know, it's hard, but it's not that hard. And it gets a little steeper, so we decide to take a break for, you know, the last push-up. And one of the dads pulls out his GPS gizmo thing, looks at it, and goes, we've climbed about 400 feet. We still had over 2,000 feet to go. Um, So we get over this hill, and we look up, and there's this like mountain range that we're going to have to climb. And there's no switchbacks. The trail fades into bushes. You go straight up this thing. And so we put our heads down, and we climbed and climbed. I don't think I've ever done a harder hike. That was hard. My toes hurt. My calves burned. Um... I, at times, I, I wanted to quit. It was, it was that bad. Um, the trail was not the most well-maintained, so, you know, there's branches all over. My legs are getting cut up. I'm getting slapped in the face with, with branches. But I kept telling myself, keep going. Take one more step, just another step. Get to the top. And when we got to the top, you could see the entire valley out before you. You've got a river off to one side. You've got snow-capped mountains up top. It was probably the greatest view I've ever seen in my life. And I've been to the Grand Canyon. I've been to Zion National Park. Okay, I've been been to all the the really cool places that everyone says you have to go. The reason why that is my favorite place is, one, the view is by far the best. Okay, if you ever get the chance to do a hurricane deck and you can, do it. Be prepared, okay? Um, But the reason it it was so great was because I had to work for it. I didn't get to pull up and park and be like, oh, there's the view, yay. I had to bust my butt off to get up there. Okay? And when I got back to the cars, it was like 10 miles of hiking. I was exhausted, and it takes a good bit to exhaust me. (laughs) So I would just want to encourage all of you to keep pressing on. When it gets hard, when the road is tough, keep taking the steps forward. Tell yourself one more step. If I take one more step, we'll get closer. And keep taking those steps, because in the end, it'll be worth it. Thank you for letting me do this.
4: Thanks, Tyler. That's amazing. So we have now an invitation into God's family. It was God who, who in, his, in his special purpose, took this husband and wife of a of, of fresh new family, Mary and Joseph, and had them bring their, his son to the world. God uses family. And there's two ways I see in the, in the text, in the Bible, that, that God invites us into his family. One is by adoption. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, having predestined us to the adoption of sons as his sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. God invites us into that adoption into his family. The other way I see is by marriage, uh, by, by, by betrothal or a, a covenant or a contract. See, John 14, uh, 1 through 5 says this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many mansions, and if I were not, if it were not so, I would not have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. He is inviting his bride, the church, to join him in, his, in, the, in the father's house, the insula, the, the, the place where a son, after his betrothal to his bride, he would go into his house, his father's house, and begin building a room, begin building a place for he and his family to then live. And Jesus is making those words, is saying the same things, like, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare that place for you. And I love Thomas because he asks the question, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus makes one way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We are to be then a family for eternity. A family for eternity. And the earth is awaiting, and, and as well as our bodies are just awaiting this new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 real fast. Romans chapter 8. I'll start in verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And like Tyler was saying, when, when he was climbing that mountain, the hurricane deck, there is sufferings. But once you get to the top and you get that vision of everything that's going on there is there's, this, there's this glory sense. Like, ah, oh, there's this majesty. Look around and you see what's, what God has put out, set us before us. Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, willingly but because, because of him who subjected it to it in hope. Because creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves, grown within ourselves." The earth is waiting for this new creation. Our bodies are awaiting as Jesus as the restorer of the family of God. If you go to Revelation 21, you'll see the vision that John was given. And it says, and and he sees this vision of God on the throne. He says, and he who sat on the throne, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water. I need water. Sorry, I will give the fountain water of life freely to him who thirsts, and he who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he will be my son. Two thousand four, I set out with a couple friends to, to conquer Mount Shasta. It was a January full of ice. We had to snowshoe up to high camp, and then from high camp we woke up at four in the morning and began our our, our ascent up the last remaining uh six thousand feet and it was a i mean it was a grueling day um, crampons on our feet, ice axes in our hand, just working our way out this at this icy slope and all day I kept looking up okay okay there's the summit i I can do the summit i can I can see it it's right there and just as we thought about 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 12 o'clock, about noon, we reached that summit, and I realized it was a false summit, like that wasn't it, and what I see is it's called Misery Hill, and I know the reason why. It's now called Misery Hill. There's a little plateau, and then you see Misery Hill, and it's about, it's a 400-foot hill on top of Mount Shasta, and I just remember thinking, how in the world am I going to do this? And As I approached Misery Hill, I realized that it was solid, crunchy ice and that there wasn't a nice staircase. There was no trail. It was just you go straight up this hill. And the way that the ice had formed and the wind had, had, had its way with it, it was like 18-inch steps. So each step, you have to like lift your foot up about 18 inches to, to get up the next one. And I would take one step, five breaths. One step, five breaths. It was just this painful and then once you got to the top of the hill then you realize there's another thousand or a hundred feet to go a hundred yards to go and then finally the little summit and I laid down after I got to the top of misery hill and I thought that's it I'm done and my friends who were there said Jeremy you got it we're not doing this alone we're not leaving you here come on and we made our way to the summit and it hadn't been those guys I would not have made it and that is what church. That is what the family of God is for. We are here to support and encourage others on to the glory that is yet to come. From time past to time eternity, God is using His family. And so now, as we take partake of communion, we have a few communion cups. If if you didn't receive them on the way in, you didn't grab those in. Actually, I need one. I forgot mine. Can I get one, breaker? If you didn't have, one, if you didn't get one. Thank you, sir. Uh, raise your hand, and we'll get uh, we'll get those to you. But this is now the invitation and the remembrance of God's family. Communion is, is what we look on what Jesus has done for us. It is remembering what he has done for us. And we therefore need to examine ourselves to make sure we're not, doing, we're not adding anything to the cross of Christ. We're not trying to add works or perfection or anything. Jesus Christ did it all at the cross. And so we are remembering his invitation into the family. At a Galilean wedding, it was different than any other wedding in Jerusalem, in any other wedding in Israel. In a Galilean wedding, as the groom, they read the contract at the gate. Both families were there. There was multiple witnesses. As they read, the groom would then pour the cup, and he would extend it to his bride, or his potential bride. And in a Galilean wedding, the bride had the, was, had the ability to either accept or reject that cup of wine. And after receiving, if she chose to accept, she would, take a, she would drink from it, and then the, the groom would say this. He would say, I will no longer drink of the fruit of this vine, of this cup, until the day of our wedding feast. As Jesus is passing out the cup that night, the night before his, the night of his betrayal, the night of his death, he tells his disciples, Verily I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of this vine until the day that I drink it in the new kingdom. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, I want you to be in my kingdom. You will be my family. So if you have accepted his death, his burial, his resurrection as your own, if you have believed and confessed this communion is we don't do this in remembrance, so it's the tin the little foil top that you kind of pull off sorry, the bread. It's not easy. I know I'm struggling in front of everybody. Let me read. Paul would say, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took the bread and he, when he had uh, given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take this, eat. My body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying the cup this is the cup of my new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me let's drink of the cup let's pray and have the worship team come up Lord, we do this in in remembrance of you making the way into, the only way into the family of God. We accept your death and burial and resurrection as as our own, Lord. So we want to live in this new life, the the new covenant, Lord, of what you have done for us. We want to be filled with your spirit as we go out and we love on our families and love on... Uh, the family of God as a whole. Remove division, remove strife, Lord. May our families not be like the Garden of Eden families, those families that were there, that were there the first families, Lord. But may we model the family that Jesus, you came to to live and and to and, and to breathe and to to give. Lord, I pray that we would have been filled with your vision. Of what you want to do with this family, us through the Spirit this morning in Jesus' name. We pray, Amen. We'll have a worship. Uh, we'll have the worship band play now, and then if you have uh, any prayer, anything you want to lift up for prayer, any blessings, come up to the front. and we'll, We'd love to pray for you.
0: Let's stand together. Thank you for this day, God. I pray that as we go out back into the world, God, back into this culture that we live in, God, that we'd be a light for people to follow, God. That we would be able to carry what we've taken from the sermon today, God, and bring it to other people, God, and build a, build your church, God. So I thank you for this time, God. And thank you for this time that we get to worship and fellowship and all this in jesus' name amen. Yeah.
6: You guys have a good day.